Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another nine-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Drag racing is an exquisitely simple form of competition. A pair of cars line up at the head of a quarter-mile strip of pavement. Their start is governed by an electronic device nicknamed a Christmas tree that gives each driver a perfectly even chance. The yellow lights blink a warning. Then the green flashes on. The race begins. The first car to reach the end of the quarter mile wins. The other loses. Drag racing is beautifully quick and to the point. Every speed merchant in racing is here, including California's Don Perdome. Quick as he is, the snake knows that for Indy, he will have to be even quicker. I think it's the toughest, toughest field they ever had in drag race. I think all the cars by the time they qualified will be in the six-second bracket. It's going to be close. It's seven O's now, but there's a lot of seven O cars, and I don't believe that all of the cars are going to make it into the six. It's not all 32. While the headlines are captured by high rollers like Garlitz and Perdome and their 230-mile-per-hour mechanical monsters, a lot of people forget that drag racing is a fun sport. Designed for little guys and little girls. They migrate to Indy by the hundreds, going behind their trucks and station wagons, some of the wildest automobiles in captivity. Drag racing is a showplace for a purely American pop art form that manifests itself in madly imaginative paint jobs and car names that range from the amusing to the striped, to the outright boastful the wildest kind of wishful thinking. This is Don Perdome. With the help of Plymouth Arrow, I've been able to clean up at the races. And right now, you too can really clean up on Arrow. You see, it's the end of the model year at your Chrysler Plymouth dealer. So come on in and pick up an exceptional deal on the car that the EPA rates at 38 miles per gallon highway, 27 city thanks to the ingenious MCA air injection system. So come on and get a fair shake on a Plymouth Arrow during cleanup time. Go see your Southern California Chrysler Plymouth dealer today.
Okay, listeners, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host. Quick, run your computers and Google Pantalk1340.com, and we are streamed live on the Internet. And we got a great show for you tonight. We have, hopefully, a really, really legendary racer on the program a little bit later. And, of course, we'll be playing some cool music and bringing you some updates as to some of the upcoming events. Hey, Cedric, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, well. That's good, that's good, that's good. And Chris, Chris from Crown Collector Car Auctions, welcome to the show. How are you, Robert? Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> hey, I like our little uh, addition you brought into the show tonight. Yeah, that's one of the banners that I'll be taking up to Auburn, to the Auburn-Duesenberg uh, reunion, and uh, which I'm hosting uh, this weekend. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, well, it's, you know, it's one of the most prestigious events of the year. It is where the greatest gathering of Auburn's, Cords, and Duesenbergs occur at the uh, museum, which was the factory for those cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, there'll probably be 85 or 90 of the Duesenberg models, and they're going to be out in Kendallville, Indiana, on the municipal uh, uh, airstrip, racing f- to see which car is the fastest today. And, and I can't wait to take a video of this. I'm having it videoed, and uh, we'll be bringing that to all the uh, Crown Collector family uh, and the Duesenberg uh, Cord and Auburn Association people. Super. And now, tell us about Crown Collector Car Auctions, the event, this uh, October. Yes, it's this October 14th and 15th at the Tampa Bay Fairgrounds in the Expo Hall, where we're going to have 240 of the greatest collector cars the West Coast of Florida has ever seen. Okay, good. And tell us about some of the cars. Whoops, excuse me there. Tell us about some of the cars that uh, you've run across here recently. Well, some, this, new editions. You know, every week I've been telling you about all the great cars: the forty-one Cadillac, mm-hmm. the uh, the 20, GTE 000. Cougar. Oh yeah, the GTE Cougar four twenty-seven car, one of two hundred and fifty made. Wow, it, it is a spectacular car. We're excited to have it, and uh, we're getting great cars. You know, we're getting a today. We got a Lingenfelter Corvette, which is one of the last ones that they did. While um, Lingerfelter was, Lingerfelter was still alive. And uh, we're also getting Jerry Rice's uh, Ferrari. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, the Jerry Rice, the, the football Jerry player. Rice, the football player from the San Francisco 49ers. All right. The greatest receivers ever play the game. That's true. That is true. Yep. And uh, so we're very excited about the auction. And everybody out there, you know, you need to go to www.crowncollectorcars.com or give me a call at 855 552 7696 for all the details. Right, and be sure and tune. Make, make sure you got your computer on now because we have this giant, beautiful <laughs> Crown Collector Car Auctions banner. That's the first time I've ever had a banner in the radio studio. And it here does look really good. Yeah, it's, yes. and it's got a beautiful cord. Uh, cord yeah. on it. And, of course, we have others with the Duesenbergs and the Auburns. Super. All right, hey, let's fire up that first little uh, ditty there. All right. We're going to play some Redbone. This Red song Bone. is called right. Maggie. Maggie. All right.
Sunshine State. This is Tampa Bay's 10 Talk. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure to mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount. Okay, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, brought to you by Crown Collector Car Auctions. Chris, tell us about the auction again. Sure, it's Crown Collector Car Auctions, as you can see if you're on uh, the internet. The internet, and uh, we are going to be at the fairgrounds the 14th and 15th of October. We're going to have 240 of the greatest cars Florida's ever seen. And uh, if you need more information, please go to the website www.crowncollectorcars.com Super. Okay. Hey, keep in mind, too, also that same weekend is the Street Rod Nationals, right? Southeast Street Rod Nationals. That's so correct. there's going to be more than enough things to do at that particular event. Oh, heck yeah. There's going to be 1,200 Street Rods on display and a swap meet. Super, super, super. Okay, a couple other things. Don't forget, next month, wait a minute, we're in October. No, tomorrow oh. starts October. Okay, the September. end of the month, September 30th through October 2nd, and in Clearwater, the Bright House Clearwater Superboat Races. Don't forget to show up for that. That's going to be down here in downtown Clearwater uh, at the Bay Star Village. I guess that's going to be the pit area. Okay, it's right down where the old Mods Brothers used to be, or what is that called uh, by the library? Uh, I can't think of it. Anyway, it's a little park down there by the waterfront. <laughs> okay. And uh, forgive me, guys. Okay. But anyway, and the big event the big event will be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday going on all over the place. Plus, the races and time trials will be Saturday and Sunday. So don't forget that. Also, 
our buddy down there in St. Pete at Pete's Scoops and Subs, okay, on 57, oh, excuse me, 5507 38th Avenue North in St. Pete. Okay, every Saturday night, he's got the car show from 9 to 5. If your car wins a prize, you get a milkshake, you get a dog, you get something down there, okay? Give him a call, 343-3030, 343-3030. That's 5507 38th Avenue North, Pete's, or Pete's Scoops and Subs, car show and sub shop and ice cream parlor. Cool place to go. What else we got going on there? Anybody call in yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Let's. Uh, hey. Let's just. Uh, well, Chris. Let's just talk about cars while we got a few uh, minutes. Love to talk about cars. So. Uh, so, what are some of the other cars you looked at this weekend? Uh, you know, we're we're getting the cars are tumbling in. Uh, one of the coolest cars that I've I remember when I was in high school was a Pontiac Catalina bodied car, but it was known as a two plus two. Okay. And it came with a four twenty one Super Duty engine with tri power. Had 390 horsepower and a four-speed in a big-bodied uh, Pontiac, and we're getting an original, really beautifully restored uh, 2 Plus 2 to have in the auction. Factory four-speed car. Factory four-speed car, matching numbers. Wow. It's you... red with red interior, and boy, is it beautiful. Now, these cars that people are submitting and stuff like that, are they, how, how, are they telling you basically, hey, look, uh, you know, what's my car worth? What do you think my car will bring? Are they asking those kind of questions, or... Everyone, Do they have an idea? Everyone always has an idea of what they want for the car. Of course, we are very uh, Conservative. Con- conscious of the marketplace, and we guide them as to what their car should do on the block. Uh, you know, the the economy was hit, but not in the collector car market. That's still really strong, and, and cars of quality, which we'll have, are still bringing strong prices. And the other thing about your auction, too, it's fairly eclectic. So you're going to have sports cars, vintage race cars. You're going to have modern classics. You're going to have the, that 41 Cadillac, right. maybe even a Cord or something. You're telling me about a Cord, a 30. What was this Cord uh, you're telling uh, me about? Uh, or uh, Auburn. A uh, 1930 Auburn that uh, we're looking to get for the auction that is an original car. Wow, and that's a four-door sedan, that's basically? That's a four-door sedan. That's okay. correct. Super. And, and they are unbelievably affordable for what it is. I mean, we're talking about a totally restored Auburn for under $50,000. A true classic, a true American-made classic in the same category as a Packard, right? That's correct. How are we doing there, Cedric? We got our guests on? Okay, let's fire up this song real quick, and then we'll boogie into uh, you know the lead-ins. Super.
a young hot rodder growing up in Southern California in the 50s. Cars were everything. I never thought about doing anything else besides the car. I think it's like a young kid picking up an instrument and all of a sudden he just could automatically play that instrument or don't even have to read music. I didn't even know anything about football or basketball. We didn't do that. We worked on cars. And to be honest, I kind of miss those days, you know. When I came up, we didn't have fire suits. I had a leather jacket and a pair of jeans on, a pair of goggles and a helmet. That's how you did it, man. You didn't think about getting hurt. You know, you start thinking that way. It's time to get out. It's part of the job. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, brought to you by Crown Collector Car Auctions. Now, it's time to introduce our guest. This gentleman, okay, well-known, been racing drag racing for over 50 years, one of the winningest drag racers of all time, an inductee to the International Motorsports Hall of Fame. It gives me great pre- pleasure to welcome to the show Don the Snake Perdome. Don, are you there? <laughs> yes, I am. Nice to be on the show. You like that, huh? Yeah, it's cool. You remember doing that? Oh, yeah. That? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How, how long ago was that done? Uh, now, the, uh, the the commercial or whatever we were playing there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that was done, uh, oh, geez, it's been a few years now. Uh, it, was a, it was a Power 8 commercial, actually, for... Uh, uh, for NHRA, which is one of the a series of commercials they did for, um, you know, to promoting the series. How's that? And uh, so they asked me to do it and just do it, uh, whatever comes to mind. And that's what came to mind. I was just uh, trying to explain the the way the way it, uh, you know, we came up uh, in the sport and that sort of thing. So I hope uh, hope it worked. It worked evidently. Well, while we're on the subject, why don't you tell us how you got started over fifty years ago in the uh, motorsports industry? Or, or racing, period. Well, you know, I was, uh, I, I think, real fortunate to come up uh, at a time when, uh, uh, you know, in the 50s and, um, in the, you know, early 60s when the hot rodding was just, like, brand new, so, so to speak, you know. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a car, the automobile was unbelievable, and, you know, the 55 Chevy came out, I can remember that. And uh, bottom line is that uh, I was in love with cars, and I, I got, uh, fortunately, I got in this car club called the Road Kings of Burbank, and I met a guy in there by the name of Tom Ivo, and he, uh, you know, he, he ran a drag car, a drag racing car, and I went to drag race a few times and got to drive it, and uh, I was hooked. And so basically that's what it was. We were racing for trophies. There was no money in the sport at the time. Wow. So uh, what was one of the first cars? So when you, what was like the, what time era was it when you just kind of like got, kind of started saying, hey, this is what I want to do professionally as a career? When did that, when did that happen? When was that, when did that transpire? <laughs> Oh, that, that's a good question. I, you know, once again, there was no money in it, so it was pretty hard to do that. But as as time went on, um, uh, I, I think really it was about 1963 or so when I was driving a car called the Greer Black and Perdone Top Fuel Dragster, and I was driving for uh, Keith Black and Tommy Greer, and boy, the car was really dominant in, in uh, out here in uh, California, all the local drag strips. And believe it or not, I started making enough money on the weekends. Uh, I was making more money on the weekends driving the car than I was working or painting cars uh, during the week. And I thought, hmm, this seems like a way to go, you know. And so, and plus I loved it. So 
I think about that time I started thinking about this could be something. In about 65, I was driving for Roland Leong, and we won the uh, nationals, the winter nationals in California out here. And um, uh, we went on tour and started making a little money. And from then on, uh, geez, I never looked back at the spray gun or <laughs> anything else. I just uh, made it my career. So now you were basically working in the body shop at the time. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I was a real hands-on guy. Yeah, my my dad, my you know, the whole family they they came up in that business class, business body shop business, and uh, so I, um, you know, I, I just picked that up and working on cars. And I was you know really really a young kid, and so uh, that's that's where I got it. Just I got the bug there with cars, and uh, once again I got a chance to to turn all that into uh, to making a living, which was uh, unbelievable. Now you were wrenching on the cars as well as doing the body work and paint work and spray work and all that oh, stuff. Oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did body work and painted the cars, and we worked on engines at night. And you know, just to the, you know, like like every other young teenager coming up uh, back in those days. That's the way you did it, man. You know, you didn't, uh, you know, junkyard parts, whatever it took. So yeah, I, yeah. And I started learning about the engines, and Keith Black uh, taught me a whole lot and. Which really helped my career a lot, and uh, so you know. Now, was this before the days when Keith Black went basically went out and kind of made his own version of the Hemi Block, you know, which was real successful at the time, and so and and so this was kind of like in his infancy time too. So you really grew up in a really cool time. I mean, think about the names you just mentioned, you know, Greer and Black, Keith Black, and some of those Tommy Ivo, and those, who's been on the show by the way. Um, you know, all those guys they all started at the same time, and you all kind of like hung out together, didn't you? Yes, we did, yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't realize how lucky I was in growing up in the San Fernando Valley, you know. I mean, it was uh, California. It was just the hotbed of racing. And, um, um, you know, so fortunately I was here and when it all happened. But, oh, yeah, yeah, we all we all, uh, we all all came up uh, together, you know, and the, to meet Keith Black and end up being a really good friend of his and uh, Dave Zuchel, who was a big help in my career and, Gosh, I mean, I go on and on. I just can't. Don Garlitz, I remember the first time I met those guys at Lion Drag Strip when uh, 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 Connie Swingle was driving his car for him, and um, uh, they came out here and blew us away, and uh, that changed things for us, too, you know. It's funny you mentioned Connie Swindle. Connie Swindle used to work for uh, not when he obviously started with uh, with uh, Garlis, but when I met him, it was in the early 80s. He was building road race cars with uh, Dave White out of Tampa, who was doing road racing. And uh, Connie was a pretty cool guy. He lived out in the country a little bit, you know, and he was just kind of laid back. He was just a really neat dude, but extremely talented in terms of fabrication. Uh, when you when you first got into racing, now did you start out in a drag store? Did you race any gassers or uh, you know just regularly like stock production cars, or how, did you just jump right into the fire basically? I jumped right in. Yeah, right in. Yeah, and it didn't uh, didn't have any of that stuff because, you know, th- that was quite expensive back then to have a, a Chevy or some type of car like that. It was expensive. So we had rail jobs, you know, and uh, I had a little nailhead Buick engine that I took out of this roadster I had that wasn't incomplete and put it in the club dragster. And so a guy by the name of Rod Petmuller who was in the club uh, built the dragster and it's a big-ass nailhead dragster with a you know, uh, well, it had six carburetors on it, which was a big deal with a wine log manifold. And um, that's, uh, I always stayed in dragsters. You know, I never never raced anything else but that. How fast was that car back in the day? Oh, gosh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. I don't know, 100 <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, 110, 15 miles an hour, something like that. <laughs> so you're barely uh, 10, 12, 12, 11, 12 second cars is what those were then. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it fell fast to me, man. <laughs> and then, Now, those were front-engine dragsters, too, that you got into. What What was that like? They're Basically, well, they were called slingshots, right, in the day? Yeah, they were all front-engine dragsters. Okay. You know, the, uh, the, geez, Mickey Thompson had one of the first ones where you set over, over the rear end, you know, or the, you know, on the other side of the rear end, the back side of the rear end. So, uh, yeah, yeah, they were, uh, they were dragsters, front engine cars, and they stayed that way up until about, uh, 69, 70. 69 would probably be the, well, when Carlos, of course, came out in 70 with that rear engine car, that really, uh, turned the, turned the drag racing, uh, world upside down, you know, as far as, top fuel goes the the difference when they went from a front engine dragster to a rear engine and obviously you got the weight and the traction back there how much difference how much of an impact or how much of a increase in in perform time wise did you guys experience back in those days you know i you know I, i'm not uh i'm not real good with all the memory about the the, the times and, okay. and everything the car was the car was a lot quicker though because of the obvious you know the, you know the engine's way back and you're back in the car and it's uh yeah, but but really we did it for the for the safety part of it you know that's what garland's why he did it you know the front engine cars were still real quick but um they were a little bit quicker when they went to rear engine cars and of course he blew us off uh with that rear engine car because it, it just gripped better it wasn't so much faster it wasn't any faster it was uh it was just quicker uh et wise off the starting line you know because of the obvious you know the weight transfer and weight distribution that sort of stuff when did you get into funny cars I got into funny cars in '70. I, got, I went into funny, although I had a rear engine car too. You know, I, I really like dragsters. I uh, we, we were sponsored by Mattel. The mongoose and myself, McEwen, got together and went to Mattel and um, got a sponsorship for the Snake and Mongoose Hot Wheel sets. And so they wanted us in in uh, funny cars, and uh, so that's that's what happened. You know, and they and the funny cars were. Uh, you know they weren't much of a race car back then, but as uh, a few years later, they they sure were. And John Butera built us a great funny car in about '72, and boy, it uh, I really really started liking funny cars because it was quick. Now the funny cars basically started out what as kind of alters, and then they evolved into where the whole body just was just a cap on top of a chassis. Is that kind of how that evolved, or? Yeah, sort of. The funny cars start out oh, more like in 64, 65, when the factories got involved, you know, mm-hmm. the big three, and they were altering the wheelbases by taking the uh, rear end and moving forward, so there was a lot of overhang over the back of the car, <clears throat> and that, and moving the front uh, front wheels forward, actually, to move the axle up fr- way in front of the engine, so they became really funny-looking cars, and that's where the name Funny Car picked up. Okay. I called them that, and then from then it just progressed into fiberglass bodies and what they are today, and they still kept the name, although they're completely look different. They're still funny cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what 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 is the? Uh, I've often wondered when you go from an open from a dragster, which is basically a rail, to a funny car. Uh, what's the difference? What do you is there? What goes through your mind? What's the car feel like? Uh, does the car react any differently? I mean, you got a body up obviously on top and there's aerodynamics issues and stuff but tell us a little bit about how that uh you know and 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 like i guess another question would be when i talk to some of the road race guys it's kind of like an open wheel car versus a fendered car so do you you kind of go through the same kind of thought process or experience uh, of a full-bodied car dragster basically as opposed to an open wheel dragster yeah, pretty much. You know, the the dragster uh, the dragster has like maybe a, like around a three hundred inch wheelbase on it, 
and the funny car has a 125-inch wheelbase, or maybe 130 these days. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, so that's that's completely different. You know, the funny car once again the engines in front of you, the drags are the engines behind you. So it's a completely different car. The uh, top fuel car is a more I'm not saying it's an easier car to drive, but yeah, it is. It's an easier car to drive than a funny car because a funny car, you short wheelbase, you got to really uh, throw that baby around. You know, it's uh, it's a little different animal compared to a top fuel car. How's your visibility in those things? I mean, it often looks like you're just like tucked in there. Well, great. You know, that's one of the, the big advantage of a rear engine dragster. You know, you're sitting out front there, and you can really see where you're uh, where you're going versus having that engine in front of you. So, yeah, that was that was a big step forward. And uh, but the funny cars are, hey, you know, it's hard to describe. You know, they're just it's a massive uh, piece of equipment. There, you know, you got like you know six, seven thousand horsepower right right in front of you, and. Uh, quite uh, it's quite something it's quite challenging you got some good stories for us like, uh, how about some good stories yeah let's hear a good story let's hear a really close kind of a really edgy a memorable story you know maybe between you and the the mongoose oh uh, i got a story in 1969 at u.s nationals it was the biggest race of the year, coming down to the final round with Jim, a fellow by the name of Jim Nicole. We were in front-engine dragsters. We both left the starting line together, and as a matter of fact, it was on Wide World of Sports. We left the starting line together. We were just coming into the finish line, didn't know who was ahead. It was that close. His car lost a clutch and cut the car in half. The car, front part of the car motor went came over to my lane and was spinning out in front of me and I thought he was dead for sure and uh, we ended up at the other end of the track in a pile of rubbish and uh, he walked away from it and so did I. Wow. So that 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 that, that stuck in my mind pretty good. <laughs> did that so that kind of gets your your attention yeah. that, that, You know that, drag racing drag racing was just trial and error for all of us. Garlitz included Garlitz lost his foot uh doing it. Uh Shirley Modowney broke all of her broke her legs real bad. I mean the people these pioneers of the sport had dedicate a lot to the sport, you know, through trial and error and fortunately I walked away from it, but a lot of guys didn't, you know, and Marvin Graham, people like that, you know, it's uh you know, things happen, you know. How about Marvin Shorts, you remember him? Yeah, that's excuse me. That's the name I met was Marvin Schwartz. Matter of fact, uh, I was there at Tucson. It was in Arizona, I believe, where he was killed. Yeah, yeah. Got off the track and you know didn't have much guardrails back in those days and didn't even really care about guardrails. You know, it was just the emphasis of the sport and got off the track and um, that was it. I was there. Well, Marvin was actually from our area here too. I actually knew him. He was real good friends with uh, Ward Blazer, who drove a. Uh, I don't want to call it a funny car, but he drove an Alter back in 1962-63. But he goes back to Kans- Wichita, Kansas days back in the 50s, so he's one of the early pioneers, too. Yeah, but, Marvin uh, was really a, a mold of Garlitz, you know. I mean, he, he was just, you know, I think he, Garlitz built his car. I know they were pretty tight at mm-hmm. one time or so, but his, he was uh, he was a Garlitz, Florida kind of guy. You know, he was a really a bad racer and a, a tough racer. I mean, he was really bad to the bone, and... Uh, when Marvin and Garlitz, they come out to California, they really, <laughs> they were tough out there. <laughs> so now, when you guys were, um, some of these mishaps that took place, how much, how fast did it take, let's say, the organization to react in terms of implementing new safety um, uh, measures, so to speak? NHRA? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, they, uh, 
they they immediately immediately yeah they 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 were they they've always been really good at that I've always uh defended those guys with that because they you know you know drag racing get you know guys get hurt and things happen but you got to remember sometimes there's 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 hundreds of cars at the drag strip not 32 or 15 or 50 there's hundreds of them in all different categories and stuff so they have to address all that and so i think they uh, i think they do a great job and they're uh, they're quick to react to uh, any situation i think how did the name the snake how did you get that i want to everybody wants to know that question now the story that I heard, yeah, which was what, which was what Tommy Ivo told us, which was at a Billy Idol this year where I met you the first time, and that was about some rabbit that ran across the racetrack. Yeah, is that? And then you were really quick, and you caught that thing, and you said, "Man, you're quick like a steak." No, and, no, uh, yeah, I do remember catching the rabbit up as Fremont drag strip. The rabbit's running right down the track, and he's had me stand there, and and he ran past me, and I reached down and grabbed him, and. Uh, put him on the other side of the fence, you know, so he didn't get hurt. But, yeah, I remember that. Uh, but, no, I had the name way before that. And it was a, actually started with the Gurr Black and Perdone car in, like, 63. guy by the name of Joel Purcell that was a crew member on the car. Uh, we were winning just right and left out here in California, and uh, he started calling me Snake. And so based, that's really, really where it came from. Okay, so he just decided to call you Snake, and that was it, and it stuck ever yeah, since. Yeah, well, yeah, hey, you know, you strike like a snake, and I just, I don't know, just, just <laughs> I just goofed around like you would at a buddy in school, putting a nickname on um, on your buddy at school. Basically, that's that's how it started. Okay. Now, tell us a little bit how you, you hit a couple milestones. You were one of the first guys that uh, cracked a 300 mark, but uh, how about some of the earlier lower speeds? I mean, when you guys set these... Did you guys, in your wildest imaginations, have any idea that you guys would attain these speeds, you know, going from 150 to 200 to 250 to 300 plus nowadays? I mean, in under, you know, we're talking three seconds? Yeah, well, of course not. No, no, we didn't uh, because, uh, you know, back in the day there that, uh, God, there were people saying that you could never go 150 miles an hour and a quarter mile. It would be virtually impossible, you know, and Mickey Thompson, I believe, was the first one to do that, and then the next number, of course, was 200 miles an hour, and uh, and I can remember running 150 or 250 miles an hour at um, uh, in one of my funny cars that set the all-time speed record uh, with that car, and now you know in today's world, we're running a thousand feet and they're running over 300 miles an hour. So you know, it's um, yeah. Um, no, I never, I never imagined it. What's, what's amazing is not just the, uh, not just that, uh, the, that top speed. It's the eighth mile speed. It's, it's a kind of uh, speed you're going at the eighth mile, which is uh, incredible. You know, which is like 280 miles an hour or so in the eighth of a mile. So, from a dead stop, that's that takes a lot of tire, a lot of Goodyear tire, and a lot of power to do that. What do you feel as a driver? What do you feel for G forces? You know that's that is not as bad as it looks because your helmet is uh, hooked to a strap, your chin strap. They call it, and it goes forward and it keeps your you adjust that and it keeps your head up. I mean, you certainly uh, feel the acceleration, but your eyes don't really not ready to sink back in your head or any of that kind of thing that you read about. You know, it's just uh, it, it, and you become used to it too. It's more like a, a fighter pilot or something. You say, "Geez, how does a guy do that?" You know, well, he does it because he's uh, he's used to it, and it's um, no big deal after a while. 
Marvin Schwartz told me a funny story one time. He used to joke and says, hey, Robert, you know why we got these uh, Q-tips, this box of Q-tips on my dash on my truck? And I go, no, why? He says, because after the races, I have to stick the Q-tips in my ears to pop my eyeballs back in the socket. <laughs> you know, so I never forgot that because he was really screwing with me, but it was kind of funny at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But who was, uh, let's see, do you remember your first fire in a funny car? Yeah, I got a, a little email here. I get emails from some of the uh, listeners. My first fire? Yeah, I mean, well, for, yeah, I mean, because I remember you had, because uh, that was actually kind of a common thing. You'd ever, you'd like a, a supercharger blow off or something yeah. would happen and you guys be trapped in those cars or not necessarily trapped, but you'd be in there going down the road smoking. So what was that like? Well, you know, I don't remember the first one. I remember one of the big ones that I okay. had and that was at Orange County Drag Strip and it was, uh, it was a national event they were having there and uh, it blew the, uh, blew an intake out of the uh, manifold and blew that baby apart and it was a ball of fire and i rode that thing until it got out of it towards off the side of the track and it was really really hot but no that's that was just a uh you had to be ready for that hey man we started running funny cars we used to send the uh used to send the tow truck our, our tow vehicle down at the end of the quarter mile with fire extinguishers and something and our guys would be in a fire suit waiting for the car to come down through there to help put the fire out because we pretty much knew we were going to have a fire. Jeez. So you well, almost, that's you the ex- way it was, you know, because it was fiberglass bodies and trial and error. I mean, some of these little drag strips, when we barnstorm around the country running our cars, the Hot Wheel cars and things like that, you know, in the early days, well, they didn't have the, the ambulances and fire equipment. You pull into a racetrack and had some old Cadillac sitting there that <laughs> it had a had a mattress in the back of it, and that was the ambulance. <laughs> True story. Really? Oh, hell yeah. And then they used to, you know, we may have run, they'd follow you down the drag strip, which wasn't <laughs> a little funny, but that's that's what happened. Or there was an accident, and they'd put you in the ambulance, and the thing wouldn't start up or something. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, yeah, so, I mean, those are, those are main stories like that back in the days. You know, Good stories, of, though. Yeah, yeah, it's just the way it was, you know. Now, when when you're when that the the one fire you're talking about when that how fast were you going when the fire when the thing let go how fast were you going and how fast does the car slow down after it lets go and you're still in there in other words you know how they did they decelerate fairly quick yeah well, it doesn't st- yeah back in the day it didn't stop that quick because you have a fire like that it's a fiberglass body and then the first thing that happens it burns the chutes right off it oh. And back then, we just had rear-wheel brakes. We didn't have front brakes on them, and you're sliding in oil. And so you're asking me how long it took. I don't know, probably another quarter of a mile for it, uh, <laughs> before it uh, came to a rest up on side track, you know. So those engines would grenade pretty pretty seriously there under the under that fiberglass shell. Yeah, they did, you know, because uh, what, what happens, you run nitromethane, especially back in the day, there was a lot of, so much fuel you're putting in the engine, there's a lot of piston wash, you know. In other words, if the nitro gets past the piston mm-hmm. pistons because they don't seal that well because of the amount of fuel you have to run in the things, and then that gets mixed into the oil. And so that's why you see guys that warm the cars up and drain the oil out of it and then go to the starting line with fresh oil and go to the starting line because even if they were warming up in the pits, it would dilute the uh the oil a lot, so that baby's out on the racetrack, and you had a lot of oil, a lot of nitro in the oil, and you had a fire, meaning it blew the rods out or something. You're oh. going to get the, you're going to get the hell of a fire. Wow. Now, when these um, cars, um, when when this all took place and stuff, they went, did those cars have like halon systems back then, or is this before halon systems? It was before. 
it was before that, and we had one of the first hailing systems in our, in our funny cars. And I was at a race one time in um, I don't know Greensboro, someplace, and Richard Petty was out at the track, and I knew him, and we were kind of shooting the bull, and he saw the fire the halon system in there, and he said, "Boy, it'd be a great idea to put in our NASCAR cars," you know. And I said, "Yeah, cool." But I mean, back then, it, you know, my first funny car just had a rather, rather a regular, ex, you know, fire extinguisher like you have on the wall in your house or in the shop, you know. Whoa. When you used to travel around back in the day, how many? what about the spares? How many spare engines and trainees and tire, sets of tires did you guys carry with you? You know, I have a Hot Wheels truck, a 19, uh, well, it's actually a 67 truck, but it's called a ramp truck. We used to carry our tra- our race cars around on the back of a, a truck, you know. Uh-huh. Ramp, ramp chargers did that, uh, Jungle Gym, all the guys, Mongoose. So I, I restored a couple of our Hot Wheel trucks that we used in uh, in the side compartment. <laughs> it has uh, one spare engine, to answer your question, and one cast iron spare engine, and very seldom would you use that engine. You know, you'd swap it over during the week, but you didn't change engines every run like they do nowadays going down the quarter mile. You, you got quite a few runs on your engine. How hard was it to get uh, sponsors back in the day? Uh, it was easier then than it is now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it really was. You know, we had sponsors since 1970. That's when we started out with Mattel Hot Wheels, and there was a lot, a lot of companies getting into the sport. We had probably one of the first non-automotive sponsors in the sport, which was Mattel. And then from then on, a lot of them has come and gone, you know, the Budweiser's and Miller Beer's and people like that. You know, some big companies have gone into the sport. And, you know, it, it treated them well, but uh, 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 and, and a lot of them are still in the sport. But like I say, it's it's tough nowadays getting sponsorship. What Did Mattel approach you guys, or did you approach them? Well, we approached them. Okay. You know, we, we approached them. You know, uh, Mongoose had a, uh, McEwen had a, uh, uh, you know, he already had that nickname, and then uh, along with mine, and um, uh, he had uh, young kids, and uh, Mattel just come out with these little toys called Hot Wheels, and he knew about that, and he knew someone over there, so that's how it all started. I mean, the Hot Wheel division was only going for about a year when we got on board, and then they made millions of them after that. Wow. Tell us a little bit about your – now, you got a really f- amazing collection of race cars, many of which are your original cars, right? Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I, I do. You know, the Army car and the Pepsi Challenger, my school car is the last funny car I drove at the U.S. Nationals in 89. Um, we won the race and the Bud Shootout. And, you know, some special cars I've kept through the years. I've got quite a few of McGarlis's museum, but – my own shop out here in Vista, out in California, is um, yeah, I have a nice little collection. The biggest project we've had lately is restoring the '67 uh, Dodge D700 ramp trucks, the, the the original trucks that we used uh, in our Hot Wheel tour for about three years. We used those trucks, and uh, I restored uh, mine and the Bongooses. You know, both. tell us. Yeah, I was reading an article now that you tell us a little bit. That you found one in. Well, actually, you found them both in California, right? But you found them a couple of years apart. Is that the way that worked? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, the uh, the my truck, the L truck, was actually uh, the same. Uh, the original guy that bought it from me had it in his place out in Pacoima, behind his house, and it was just you know wasn't much. It's been sitting around for many many years and all beat up. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, I bought it in uh, in. Uh, Restored it and then found the mongoose's truck in Riverside, and uh, that uh, the truck was originally owned by uh, Sox and Martin. They ran it for two years, and uh, McEwen bought it from them, and then you know it went through several other 
people and so found it just junked out in the back of this place in Riverside, this guy's house, and uh, hauled it into our place and completely uh, restored it. Just got it going. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, snakeracing.com. You go on our website, you'll uh, you check all of our cars out on the website. Now, do you have other cars in your collection besides the race cars? I mean, are you into, let's say, muscle cars or street no. rods or anything like that? No, I'm not. No, no? I'm not. No. No, uh, I like the stuff. I just, uh, I just don't have any. Mm-hmm. But I like it. What does like What does Don Perdome do now that he's semi-retired? And what do you do for leisure activities? I mean, what's some of your hobbies? Oh, yeah. You ever heard about the guy that worked uh, all these years and then he retired? And he says, "I don't know. I don't know how I had time to work." Yeah, that's me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah, it's. I'm just going all the time. You know, I was up at uh, Sonoma last weekend for the IndyCar race. Uh, been good friends with Chip Ganassi forever. And so when I retired, they uh, they rented a shop for me, and they ran Bobby Ray Hall and uh, Charlie Kimball out of their shop, out of our shop in Indy. So I hang out with those guys. I go to quite a few IndyCar races. I go to different shows. I, I just do a lot of stuff. Let me ask you this. Um, the uh, the car – the um the G- road racers, for example, like Bobby Ray Hall and Brian Redman and some of those people, you know, they'll go out and they'll run vintage race cars on the road race circuit because that's what they did. Maybe indie cars, maybe open cars, closed cars, and so on. Now, have you ever considered the prospects of because nostalgia drag racing's big? Have you ever considered that? No, no, <laughs> no. That's that a, a def- definitive no. Yeah, no, I haven't. No, I, I like it a lot. My good, real, really close friend Roland Leong with the Hawaiian role he still tunes one and goes to the races and does really well with it and I'll go to um, the reunion and uh, tr- things like that and that is a blast but I don't have any desire to drive one no um, I really yeah I really don't uh, no. well because I was just wondering because you know like when I talked to and, and Bobby Rahal has been on our show, our show too as well yeah. and um, when when we talk to these guys they say I asked them I said well now that you're kind of semi-retired and you vintage race and do you still have that racing instinct as soon as you get behind the wheel of a car in other words they say I can't just go out there and drive to have fun even though I know it's vintage racing and it's supposed to be a gentleman's sport I'm still out there to win because the competitive spirit is still within me would you feel the same way about it if you went and did let's say vintage drag racing yeah, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid I would. I'd get out there and I'd be on kill all the time, you know, <laughs> wanting to beat the next guy. And the next thing I know, I'd have four superchargers and, you know, $15 million in the car, you know, to make it go fast. So, so I'm just doing, I'm just kidding. But, no, I, no, I'm real competitive that way, so I don't I do not do it. You know, I was, uh, seems how you're in, you guys are all into road racing, too. I've I'm, I'm been friends with Mario for many, many years. You know, we've been, you know, just buddies, and he took me for a ride up at Sonoma over the weekend in a um, in that that two seater uh, Indy car. Indy car. Yep. And I thought he was going to kill me for Christ's sake. <laughs> this, guy, this guy is so fast. I mean, I was just overly impressed uh, how fast he was in that thing, man. I mean, it was it was a it was a ride of a lifetime. So he still got that that in him. You know, he's still real good at it. Well, now Mario's been on the show as well, so so you're yeah. you're you're part of the big alumni now. But anyway, so what made uh, Don Perdome decide he wanted to be a team owner? Because I know you campaigned two cars with uh, Larry Dixon, one of your drivers, and was it Ron Cap? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, and Tommy Johnson. Okay. Uh, well, I I I just it was uh, 
you know, for me, you know, a guy growing up uh, racing for trophies and uh, being able to make a living driving the race car and uh, loving what I was doing, the next thing was to end up being uh, just the car owner and carry on from there. And I did that for about 15 years, you know. And so um, uh, it was just the next step, and I really liked it. I liked putting the team together. I loved the way the cars looked. I loved the performance of it. So I, I really enjoyed myself as a team owner, believe me. That was that was a really uh, a good time. Could you, as with your experience as a driver, be instrumental in helping your drivers to kind of be a little bit more successful at what they were doing? Well, I, I used to uh, I used to think so when I started, you know, and um, uh, that I, I could help. And you can somewhat, you know. It's uh, it's it's a little different than road racing and talking to someone or in road racing the amount of time you spend in the car, but. Um, you know, I was able to help Larry a little bit, but mainly, uh, uh, like like uh, Spencer Massey, I thought I was going to help him, and Jesus, he could drive it better than I could, you know. And so I didn't. Uh, I left them alone. They, they these young guys are just really, really talented. All the young drivers coming up in the sport because they're they're really a student of the sport. And they, uh, meaning they grew up in uh, in smaller classes, and they, you know, they know they had all the electronic stuff to work the Christmas tree and all this practice stuff. When we came up, man, we had we had a leather jacket and uh, pop the clutch and go for it. You know, we didn't know, <laughs> you know we had to teach ourselves. Well, in today's world, it's uh, classes you go to and all this other stuff. So, believe me, when they get to top fuel level like Massey was, he was just a he was really awesome. You know. What do you think about the old Christmas, the old Christmas tree versus, let's say, doing you know off the line with a pro tree nowadays? Oh gosh, oh the pro tree is a lot better. I really? mean, it's yeah, it just doesn't yeah, it doesn't compare. You know, it's uh, it's just really. I think most drivers they had to come up and use a Christmas tree; they wouldn't know what to do. You know, <laughs> hell, I remember when we had flag starters. You know, okay, for, for Christmas trees. You know. And, so it's uh, it's yeah. I've just went all came all up through the thing, you know. Uh, Don, I got a friend of mine sitting here with me. This uh, and we're doing this car auction here this fall. It's called the Crown Collector Car Auction. But uh, Chris has been a fan of yours, and he's uh, from uh, New Jersey, and he used to watch you race up at Englishtown. You want to say something? Sure, Don. Uh, my, this is Chris Sonis. I actually met you and spoke to you a little while at the Barry Jackson Show out in uh, California, and. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, and of course, going to English Town and watching you and the Snake and so on inspired me to build a B modified production car out of my '67 Chevelle. And, there you uh, go. <laughs> cool. And uh, I, I really want to thank you for everything that you did in the sport because you inspired a lot of guys. I'm sure. Well, I appreciate that. You know, and you mentioned Barrett Jackson, um, the uh, the upcoming Barrett Jackson. Uh, auction in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, I'm going to have my uh, my last top fuel dragster car that Spencer drove uh, the way, just the way it came off the racetrack. Uh, it won in Las Vegas, so we thought we'd auction it in Las Vegas. So the upcoming uh, auction, it'll be there. So Super. Well, maybe I could uh, extend an invitation to our collector car auction, which is going to be this October here in Tampa. I'd love to go. Yeah. I'd love to go. I love the auctions. You know, it's, uh, you know, I miss Monterey this year, and uh, I think all these auctions, I think all you guys are doing a great job, and it's really, uh, really cool. Hey, Don, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you, Don right. the Snake Perdome, for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, 
we will definitely want to have you come back again sometime. Would you do that? All right, man. Just give me a call. And we'll do that. And thanks for coming right. on the show. And uh, you take care of yourself. And we'll see you maybe at one of the upcoming events. There you go. Thanks a lot. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Chris, thanks for showing up. Uh, Cedric, thanks. Well, we got a couple seconds left. Everybody stay tuned. we got a super guest next week. All right. Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week. Same time, 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Take care, everybody. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa, St. Petersburg, WDCF, Dade City, Zephyr Hills, and Wesley Chapel, and KLRG, Sheridan, Little Rock, Arkansas.